I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, this is DJ Hopp and you're listening to Rebel Radio with my man Josh Levine. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what up? Welcome back. It's Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. We're here today with my man, DJ Hoppa, the director of the Scratch DJ Academy. He's the founder of the Feeling Good Sound. Look for his Feeling Good records out there. You've seen him as a DJ on KTLA News here in Los Angeles. You might have seen him in Fast and Furious 7. He's the host of Music Mornings on Dash Radio. This dude is busy. He took a few minutes out to give us a little time on the mic. He tells some great stories. Um, in fact, so much so that we're cutting this episode into two parts. So uh, we don't do that very often, but whenever we get a guest that has so much information for you, we don't want to give it to you all at once. We stretch it out. So check it. Part one is today. He's going to tell us how he got inspired originally um, making pause mixtapes in San Francisco and then seeing Hubert and the Invisible Scratch Pickles play live really kind of opened his eyes to the world of DJing. Um, he's going to give us a little bit of his history with the DJ crew and how his boldness and, and his willingness to get on the mic when uh, none of his partners would do that created opportunity for him. And he's going to tell us about kind of being what he calls bilingual, understanding both the business side and the creative side of uh, this culture that we're in. Good stuff here coming up on Rebel Radio with DJ Hoppa right after our EDM.com track of the week. liked it that was audiobot and bamia with a track called lies our edm.com track of the week and now let's hear from dj hoppa okay so cool start rolling, but sure, I, i'm yeah. excited to have you on i know um, uh, 
I know you're a man of, of many talents. And, <laughs> and as I've been doing some research, uh, learning about all kinds of stuff that, that I didn't even know about. Right. Um, it's like an onion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Peeling back the layers. Exactly. From from being DJing on the news, which I never yeah. even thought of. That's that's a pretty amazing job for a DJ. Yeah. Um, to Fast and Furious 7. <laughs> They're like, dude, you're, you're everywhere. I'm, I'm, man, you know, it's it's happened so organically yeah. as well, you know, and it it all stems from the DJ side of things. And I think um, to me, you know, this could potentially be an Achilles heel, but I uh, I'm so fascinated with different aspects of of our sort of world of entertainment, you know, that I really haven't um, had this focused, you know, I only do this. Right. <clears throat> and the reason why I say it could be an Achilles heel is, you know, certainly I feel like there's friends of mine who have just done this yeah. and have done really well and kind of carved a, a, a niche out for what it is that they do. And I think for me, um, I just don't know. It never satisfied me to just be a DJ. Um, I mean, I think the stories that we're hearing on this show is like there's a lot of both. Right. There's certain people that they just they just want to do one thing. They want to do it over and over. Right. That works for them. And there's other people that, you know, they need to be, have their hands in a whole bunch of different things. I think, like you said, there's trade-offs. Yeah, for know? sure. But so so I, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit, but I want to hear kind of how how it all began. I know you're yeah. from San Francisco like I am. Yeah, man. I didn't realize you went to Wash, so. Oh, did you go I, to I Wash? I went to McAteer. Oh, okay. I'm a lot older, but. Okay. Um, you're but, not that much older than but me. But they were, they were kind of the two rival <laughs> Yes. Schools. I don't know yep. if they were when you were there. Um, we had a, we had rivalries with different schools for different sports or right. different things, you know. But, uh, yeah, Wash, uh, I grew up in the Richmond District in San Francisco, so okay. in the avenues. And so Wash was, you know, four blocks from my house. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, man, I think growing up in San Francisco, I'm third generation San Franciscan. So, I mean, you know, by being in the city, man, my, my dad was pissed that I um, decided to go to L.A. Yeah, and, sure. you know, there's this this definite, not even a love-hate relationship between San Francisco and L.A. There's just this hate-hate relationship between San Francisco yeah. and L.A. Really on the San Francisco side. <laughs> Absolutely on the I San Francisco LA, side. I think L.A., we don't really care. We're just like, yeah. we're doing our thing. There, well, there's not as much hometown pride, I think, right. here in L.A. as there is in San Francisco. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't mean that as a knock to anybody who's from L.A., but... Um, that, you know, L.A. is definitely this, like, melting pot of people from different places, which sure. San Francisco has turned into that, too, with the mm -hmm. tech boom and all of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, man, I think, you know, for me, it started with uh, this fascination with, you know, recording things from the radio on cassette tapes and then trying to make something creative out of that. And yeah. so, you know, starting with the pause tapes and then yeah, I, I started getting into... Um, I started to get into shorter format, so like taking a cassette single, uh, putting scotch tape over the holes on the top of it uh -huh. so that I could record over yeah, it yeah, and yeah. it would be a much shorter, yep. so I wouldn't waste the tape, you know, uh, but instead cool. would like recycle some whatever, yeah. uh, some Debbie Deb single or something like that <laughs> that I just wanted to, to re-record over and make like a a Pac and Farside mashup of some kind okay. and, you know, and, and make like a single version of it. So, so, you know, <clears throat> you're talking about this, and I remember those days with the dubbing deck and yeah, oh, you yeah. know, all that stuff. And, like, but people don't realize we had chalk on the show last week, and we were talking oh, about Oh, really? Okay. We were talking about sort of the same topic, how just like how easy shit is now compared yeah. to like how crazy difficult it was to do interesting stuff. I yeah. mean, you figured it out, but it was like. <laughs> I think so it, much work. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm I'm really glad that I came up in that era. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of people that are just starting off um, yeah. with the creative side and getting into DJing and through all sort of the work that I do with the education side. But um, I would agree with you to some extent, and I think that, like, you know, in some ways it was also a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. And in, in some ways it was a more linear path like so for me i started with the cassettes and then um i remember um my best friend's older brother like was into djing and like actually had a set of turntables and uh, i mean we never he never let us even in his room right so i mean i never uh, like 
it yeah. might as well have been in another country. But right, right. Um, I remember one day after school, like, you know, we were we were working on one of these little tapes that, that uh, my buddy Mike and I were working on. And um, uh, his older brother was like, you guys don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know what <laughs> DJing is, man. And we were like, well, okay, so tell us. Right. And, and he wouldn't. And all he did was he just gave us a um, a flyer to go and see the Invisible Scratch Pickles at the D Young Museum oh, wow. after school one day. And, like, I had no idea who these dudes were. I was looking at the flyer, like, they don't even spell pickles right, you know? Like, <laughs> what am I going to learn from these dudes? Um, <clears throat> and it was after school at the D Young. Uh-huh. And, I, man, I uh, we went there anyways. And we're like, yeah, sure, fine, we'll go there. Um, and, you know, you know where the D Young Museum is, like, you know, it's not far from uh, from my parents' house, uh-huh. you know, so yeah, went there after school. And uh, I remember, man, it was like a room full of maybe 20 people, maybe. I mean, including them, it was like 20 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had their rigs set up and, uh, you know, three turntables, three mixers. I was like, look at this, like, okay, what are these guys going to do? And then they start playing and, man, they, you know, we're doing these routines um, really utilizing the turntable as an instrument, somebody playing, you know, yeah. the drums, somebody playing a lead line, a horn. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, they're a band using turntables. And I was like, my dad has one of those. Mm-hmm. I was like, come on, let, let's go back to let's go back to my parents' house. We started taking out Stevie Wonder records. We right. started taking out Earth, Wind & Fire records and trying to cut it up on the on my dad's, like, phonograph you know turn like in the whole you know entertainment system thing yeah and that obviously didn't work very well um and then we figured out that oh you needed to have special turntables special needles and so that really is the i think the start of my journey and um you know we saved up for a dj in a box um Uh you know mail ordered it there was no internet obviously then uh mail ordered it and um you know from there man just got into really this fascination with digging for records and like going to the record store and I just fell in love with this um with that process mm. and that sort of like the the cultural side of it of mm-hmm. just like being in the record store and there being a dude that you're like kind of intimidated by mm-hmm. and you know you would see other DJs that like you know clearly they knew what they were doing and like right. it was very much a um a uh a learning process and sort of a rite of passage in a lot yeah. of ways, you know, and I think like over the years, man, I mean, I've just, you know, just got deeper into it and just made great friends over the years, you know, and that part has been really cool. Funny you say that because, I, I, you know, I came down here for college and I used to go to Prime Cuts on <laughs> yeah. Santa Monica Boulevard yeah. and like, uh, and that, that was my main spot. And then Doc Martin started working mm. there. And, you know, he was a big DJ in San Francisco <laughs> that I, I didn't know him, but I knew of him. Right. And it was like, yeah, I was like, oh, shit, that's Doc Martin. Like, am I, am I going to go ask him about a record? Like, <laughs> right. There was a moment. I mean, I did. And then he was cool. And we became, you know, I'd see him every few weeks or whatever. Yeah. And then we, you know, we get, we had a little rapport. But, but yeah, there's that moment where it is kind of intimidating. Yeah. And, and all that. So, uh, but going back even to the city, like. What music were you, what was the first music that really impacted you? Um, so I think, I mean, there's been, you know, evolutions in my journey through music, um, as there is with most people. And I think um, for me, uh, man, I mean, the Chronic album did wonders for me. And like, I was just mm. so obsessed with that. I mean, before that, you know, I was listening to a, like a lot of pop stuff, like, mm. you know, was a fan of Michael Jackson and like all of those records. But, you know, I think listening to the, to the chronic album, which was, you know, sort of taboo at the time. And just right. like, you know, was, I know my parents weren't pleased with me listening to the chronic album, you know? Yeah. And, um, for me though, listening to that versus like the boys to men, records right, that right, I was sure. listening to before that was was just really eye-opening and you, um you remember the first record you ever bought the the first like 12 inch or the first like album that I ever bought I mean one of the one of the first albums that I actually bought that wasn't from like my dad's collection because that's kind of how I started mm-hmm. I was like taking like you know some of the stuff that we had as kids like Sesame Street records and mm-hmm. like you know Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas records and like trying to do something with it you know but um one of the first albums that or 
like sort of EPs that I bought was the Far Side EP that had uh, Run In, Drop, like on it, you know, and um, it had an instrumental side. I still have that record somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but that was one of the first records that I remember, you know, actually physically buying. Um, another one, this is, <clears throat> you know, it is what it is, man. Like I, um, I remember going to uh, what was it? it was, I think it was called Zebra Records mm -hmm. in San Francisco, yeah. and um, I bought uh, this had a different fascination for me. I bought a uh, a Janet Jackson "I Get So Lonely" uh, twelve inch that had house remixes on it. Yeah. And for me, that was a really interesting thing. And now looking back on it, now being a remixer, now being like a producer on that end and making like, you know, um, taking something that, um, you know, like making a different version of something. I'm mm -hmm. uh, now kind of coming full circle and realizing like how sort of impactful that record was for me. Like, you know, <clears throat> Janet Jackson, that, that song was like a ballad and was like a real, like a bedroom record, you know, right. and then to be able to, um listen to these remixes i don't even remember who the remixers were i gotta i still have that record somewhere too but you know that definitely had an impact also of this idea of like not just leaving it and keeping it in the same vein but being right. able to sort of take it wherever you want and reach a different audience so sure. yeah i mean <clears throat> one of the first things that i remember doing even as a dj was like taking um actually it was the same it was the same trip to the record store i i got the Janet Jackson, I Get So Lonely, um, remix record. And I also got um, a Panay record. It was a, uh, a Filipino uh, Filipino act from the Bay okay. uh, that was being played at the time. And they were like a dance, like almost like the, the 90s version of freestyle, right? Like oh, So yeah. that, that like 90s wave of like Bay Area freestyle, yeah. which um, I was a fan of at the time. And like, I remember those two records, that was actually kind of like my first blend those were the first two tracks I were able to really get, like, mixed, matched up together BPM-wise and tempo-wise and be able to mix those two together. So, what was that record? God, what was that Pinai record? Uh, shoot, man. It had a silver label. <laughs> um, I got it. I got it at the house. It was funny, man. Recently, I had um, Jocelyn Enriquez on my radio show. Okay. Um, and we were talking about some of, like, that era um, I gotta go back and find that. I forget the name of it. They only really had like, you know, two singles that really did it. So it's sure. gotta be, it's, it's pretty easy, I think, right, to go right, back right. and figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, man, that That's was so kind of my first journey into it. And then, you know, <clears throat> actually things coming back full circle too. Like I remember, you know, I hated what my dad listened to growing up. Like I, it was just, he constantly, like he had Hall and Oates playing in the car and mm -hmm. just like, I mean, even Stevie Wonder at the time, like, I wasn't, like, a fan of that. Or, like, Bob James, my dad was playing that um, and was never a fan of it right. until later on, you know, diving deeper into hip-hop. And then from there, then going right. back to them, these samples and being like, oh, man, I remember Rich Girl, <laughs> you know? Like, this reminds like, me of my Bob's dad. Yeah. That's like, funny. And then years later, raiding his record collection. And right. I remember going up for the holidays one um, one year when I was in college and just being like, Dad, I'm just going to, if you don't mind, you don't even use these records. You don't even listen to them anymore. I'm just going to take them yeah. and I'll record them for you. Yeah. And I'll send you like the, the MP3s of them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so man, it's been a journey. It's been yeah. a journey for sure. Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website, and you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag and drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out. 
and you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com, create your own website today. Send it to us and we will promote it online. All right. So, you know, you talk about going to see the, the pickles and it's funny where I think, you know, DJing has where it's gone. I, you know, I'm curious your thought on, on what the legacy or the impact that Qbert has had and all those guys, but, yeah. but Q's kind of, you know, to me, the one that like, revolutionized DJ total I mean there's there's a lot of guys that absolutely have like left their you know their mark and have put their stamp on on it and you know I'm hoping that you know one day I mean I know myself I'm not going to be regarded in that way but sort of that I'll leave a legacy in a different sort of way and that's always been a goal of mine um you know since I started teaching was to really like leave this legacy and um not to not to take a detour but you know uh we talk about we talk about Cool Herc in our classroom, sure. and I've had the opportunity to to work with Herc and to um, spend some time with him. Total sidebar, man. But um, this is this will sound like a make believe story. But <laughs> I was in the Bronx and went to go visit Herc, and I had no idea how it would go down. Like we had met before then, but I had never spent like a full day with him. And so I, he was like, yeah, sure. Come up to the Bronx. I mean, it literally took me like freaking three hours to find him because the directions that he gave me were so like all <laughs> over the place. I mean, like he's like one of those dudes who's just like, yeah, there's, a, there's a white castle on the corner right. and on the other corner, there's a CVS, like meet me there. Right. Yo, like, okay. And he gave me the street, but it was like the streets were wrong and like yeah. whatever. <clears throat> Ended up meeting up with him. We get in his van and we drive to this like outdoor uh, park area and he wanted to fly kites. <laughs> I can't even make this up, man. <laughs> he had this giant kite strapped to the top of his van, had this giant kite strapped to the top of his van. Wow. And like, that's what he wanted to fly. And he made it himself. He made this kite himself. That's incredible. And we're out there flying kites. And just chopping it up, man. But like, so the reason why I say this though is like, I I feel like in our world, there's a lot of these guys that are like heroes mm -hmm. um, within our own little world that we have that aren't necessarily household names. And that like, when I look at Herc and I look at like his legacy and what he has, you know, material wise or just like what he just even has um, accomplished versus what the public knows about him. Like there's sure. this huge disparity. And I, I I feel the same about Q, you yeah. know, like um I feel like every DJ knows who Q Bird is right. and looks at him like, man, like that dude is like the guy. Um and yet like more people know who, obviously who Calvin Harris is mm -hmm. than they would who Qbert is, sure. you know? And to me, like, I don't necessarily, that's no knock to Calvin Harris in any which way. Um, and I'm like, I'm a Calvin Harris fan, man. I love what he's done for the, you know, for the culture as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I find it, you know, with when it comes to Q, his impact that he's left and this, this idea of um, innovation is like next level. And I'm really excited for some of the stuff that they're doing with Intel right now. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for, you know, just where his head is at too. We, you know, funny enough, this kind of comes full circle with us talking about uh, those two guys. We honored uh, Cool Herc, Qbert, and A-Track all on one night in New York one night for our 10 year anniversary of Scratch. Oh, cool. And um, to have those three in the room together was yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. And uh, quick short story about Q, man. I mean, I told you that I went to go see him at the De Young Museum and we've become friends, uh, you know, in more recent time, we've become friends. And mm -hmm. to just even say that Q's a friend of mine is, is pretty awesome. But um, <clears throat> we were at the 10-year anniversary. We were there and uh, he was set to do this little performance. Uh, well, right before he's going on, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people have gotten a chance to see the behind the scenes of Q before he goes on and performs, but... I mean, he is a true artist. Um, and, you know, what he does with the turntable is magical. But, um, you know, he's stretching his fingers for like half an hour. Is that right? Before he goes on. I mean, like, 
And then in terms of just like his mental preparation, you could see him go from like we're in like hangout mode backstage to then just like, okay, wait, what half an hour? Okay, cool. And all of a sudden you saw this like shift, Mm -hmm. just like you'd see in any sort of pro athlete Mm -hmm. where he's just like mentally preparing for that moment. And I mean, it wasn't a a big show. I mean, it was our 10 year anniversary, but it wasn't like, you know, being broadcast to like, you know, millions of homes or anything like that. But He took that same preparation and yeah. <clears throat> he gets up there and um, he starts doing something with this record where I've never seen anybody do this ever before. So he's scratching a sample, right? And then um, bangs the record with his fist, bangs the record and the needle jumps to a different part of the record, mm-hmm. which is a different sample. Right. And then is scratching that sample. And then he takes his thumb with the the bottom end of the record and flips it up like this and it moves the needle back to the original sample that he was scratching yeah and i was just like blown away and i don't even think like most of the people in the audience really didn't catch that i'm like standing right next to him so i'm I'm picking up on that i was just like blown away The next morning at um, breakfast, like, we're just chopping it up. And I'm like, yo, last night you did something that I've never seen anybody do before. And it was explaining what he said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, when I first got up there, I recognized that the the platter wasn't exactly even. Like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? I mean, like, like, I used those turntables actually before he did. Yeah. I was like... What? And he was like, yeah, so that technique you can only do on a turntable where the platter's not even. <laughs> like, wow, dude. I mean, like, in terms of, like, really mastering your craft, it's that's, ugly. like, next level. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's up? It's DJ Cubert hanging out at Scratch Academy, Miami. Yeah. It feels like we got to invent a turntable and mixers so I could practice in the hotel room. I was so rusty up there. like, ah! You know, it's like, if I, if I miss a day or two, it, it just, ugh, it makes me rusty. Those little teeny imperfections um, kind of like irk me but at the same time if you look at a tree it got like imperfections in it too and it's still like nice and stuff so I'm just gonna be a tree and um, I have a so much respect for Q. Um, I mean, I, I also <coughs> I feel like part of the reason why, I mean, he's a dude, like you said, you know, he's your average music fan has never heard of him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, any serious DJ. Oh, yeah. He, he's like an idol to them, right? Oh, but, yeah, for sure. But, but, I, but I also feel like part of the reason why he hasn't maybe like crossed over in the same way yeah. is because what he does is so hard. Yeah. And it's like, it's so... It's not appreciated. It's so advanced. Yeah, it is. It's like literally he, I mean, and and I know Q won't mind me talking about any of this stuff, but I mean, he's a huge like believer in like, you know, other dimensions yeah, yeah. and just like, I mean, he's, I'll talk to him about that. yeah, I mean, yeah. um, and I think for him, I, again, I just have so much respect for him being um, authentically him. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's not the guy who's, like, then going to make a a trap record right. with ASAP yeah, Rocky just for the sake of doing it, you know, right. for the sake of getting his name out there. And I have so much respect for this guy for that reason. Um, at the same time, I, I find it also really fascinating. Like, Q has asked me uh, on multiple occasions for, like, so so give me a list of artists that, like, you, you know, that you're listening to. Like, mm. you know, I'm, I, I want to know other things because he also, I think, recognizes that sometimes he can get a little right. bit wrapped Stuck up in, in his it. own bubble. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he'll he'll reach out on just like, yeah, so who's that producer? Like, right. who's this? Who's that? Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he's just incredible, man. Um, That's cool. I, I know I know with confidence that he will absolutely his legacy will absolutely outlive him without a doubt sure you know it's just a matter of time all right well let's talk about you though so okay um do you remember your first gig um not necessarily i mean i remember some you know so for me it's been um 
I guess one of more, my more memorable gigs, uh, one, one of my more memorable first gigs was um, down here in L.A. Um, at UCLA. Mm. And I brought, you know, I brought that DJ in a box, mm-hmm. Gemini DJ in a box down to L.A. with me with my two crates of records, half of which were my father's collection. Um, and we were doing parties, you know, in, um, in the dorms at UCLA. Like yeah. I, um, I went to UCLA on a full scholarship, full academic scholarship. Um, that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't know either. It's huge. Um, and because of that, they I gave went to me... UCLA on academic probation. <laughs> so I know I'm, a, I'm on the other side of that. <laughs> oh man. I, um, I went to UCLA on, on this scholarship, which allowed me to have, um, a like apartment like dorm over at Hitch yeah. um, at UCLA. So they were like, you know, two bedroom apartments, mm-hmm. um, six of us still mm-hmm. in a two bedroom apartment. But I also had the opportunity because of my scholarship to kind of choose my roommates. Mm. So um, two of my roommates were friends of mine from high school, guys that I'd grown up with in San Francisco. And, um, and we got into throwing parties uh in our in our dorm room i don't even remember man we were never into that like in high school um Mm -hmm. but like man when we got to college i guess it was just like wheels off man and um that's why you had academic scholarship because you weren't true and then then, yeah and then yeah as soon as i got to ucla i went crazy um but we had we were throwing parties in the uh in this little two-bedroom you know dorm Mm -hmm. two-bedroom apartment and uh was setting up like you know i set up all my gear at some point man we had one night we had about 200 people yeah like packed into wow. this like man i was i dorm. lived in one of those suites they were not, they were not big no they were not big i mean we we put all the furniture outside right um and packed it in had a keg in the shower like you know full on like yeah. your full-on college party and to yeah. me those were some of my first big gigs. Um, but you weren't, of you weren't going. You weren't thinking this as a career. Oh time. no, 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 what, no, what not at all. Do? I was really interested in advertising, and UCLA didn't have an advertising major, mm-hmm. um, and so I had to kind of get creative with how I went about like learning about that. I ended up interning at a um, at an advertising agency, small agency boutique down in Manhattan Beach called um, K Two. Okay. It's founded by Bob Cresser. Bob Cresser spent many years over at Ogilvy as like a big, you know, head honcho over at Ogilvy and then mm. stepped out on his own to start Cresser. Cresser and Cresser was him and his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, small firm, man. It was like 10 people. Um, <clears throat> and the, the one of their big accounts they had was IMAX. Mm. Um, you know, when IMAX was educational, yeah. like you yeah, know, yeah. prior to it being real um, commercial. So uh, the first thing that I worked on on that project was uh, California Adventure, okay, which was a film, a docu film on IMAX before it was, you know, at Disney. Oh, fun! Or all of that. Yeah. So, um, that was what we had worked on, and um, yeah, I was, I was almost certain that I was gonna try and get into advertising. What, what kind? What did you want to do in advertising? You know, I had a, um, I wanted to do something on the creative side, mm-hmm. like, um, I just, I felt like I had a bit of a passion for that, and, um, and when I ended up at Cresser and Cresser, it was interesting because um, I got thrown into the media buying side, which was, which for anybody who's out there that knows anything about advertising, that's the most boring part yes. of advertising. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, spreadsheets. And I mean, it might as well be like a finance job, you know? Right. And so <clears throat> I was interning for the, you know, the head media buyer over there who, you know, essentially, I mean, this was such a small firm. I was basically like her assistant, but her intern. So mm-hmm. getting, you know, getting paid peanuts, of course. you know, to basically be her assistant. And then all of a sudden, one day she up and leaves in the middle of us, like, going through this campaign mm-hmm. for IMAX. Mm-hmm. Like, right before we're about to, like, launch this campaign, she leaves. So the only person that actually knows what's going on about this stuff is is me. And yeah. here I am, 19 years old, kind of thrown into this role. And at that point, I was just like, yeah, this is definitely what I don't want to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I had a lot of, I, I kind of didn't know exactly what I want to do um, beyond that. Um, I also, you know, UCLA had an advertising team mm-hmm. that was like an extracurricular thing that you could right. participate in. And, you know, that was a great sort of, 
organization for me to be a part of. Um, I learned a lot about the creative end of the advertising business through that as well. And that kind of helped me sort of figure out if this was something I did or didn't want to do. Um, but yeah, DJing full time was never uh, an, uh, an option necessarily in my head until um, we ended up, <clears throat> I ended up joining this, um, this DJ uh, company, this like mobile DJ company called Exquisite Sounds when I was at school at UCLA. And I just, I found these guys, they, they were DJing in the quad um, one day and like, you know, kind of made friends and mm -hmm. whatnot. And, you know, I was like the 10th man on the 10 man, you know, right. crew. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of setting up speakers, a lot of setting up lighting and doing all that kind of stuff. And then you'd set all this gear up and then you'd sit there and you'd watch and you'd watch right. the older guys get on and, and play these gigs. And I remember like out of the 10 man crew, nobody really wanted to jump on a microphone. Mm. And so, um, at some point, you know, in the night, there were things that just kind of needed to be said, you know, announcements that needed to be said or right. like, you know, uh, a, a costume contest that needed to be run right, or, right. you know, slutty costume contest for Halloween <laughs> or whatever. And <clears throat> nobody wanted to do it. I was like, okay, I'll do it, yeah. you know? And so that actually got me, gave me a bit of a role in that. And, um, by doing that, I actually learned that. I really like that. Like, I really like being able to interact with the crowd in that way and use myself and my voice as an instrument and as a, uh, as a skill. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of that actually really got me more interested and gave me more value for sure within our crew, gave me more value when it came to DJing, helped me kind of see that there was more to DJing than just that. And, um, yeah, that, you know, sort of to make a long story short, some of these things are what really led me down this path of then being on KTLA, on the morning news, um, you know, being a bit more extroverted when it came to this. Because as you know, by nature, I mean, we just talked about Q. I mean, Q is a, a fantastic person and is not necessarily an introverted person, but can have introverted moments. Yeah. Um, and tends to talk with his hands and with his craft more than with his mouth necessarily. Sure. So Yeah, and I think that's pretty <clears throat> common, at least maybe until this current era of DJing. Like For sure. You could kind of be – it was a good job for for people that didn't want to be in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, like, most of us got into it for that reason. You hidden in the booth. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see them, but they can't see you. <laughs> right, right, in the shadows. You don't have to talk. Right, right. right. And uh, even still to this day, I mean, we get quite a few people who come to – scratch and who want to pursue this and you know you go around the room and it's like well what got you into this well you know i didn't want to rap i didn't want right. to you know be in front of the camera and that's why i wanted to dj but yeah that definitely is is obviously changing with the current landscape now but um yeah man i, I at some point i didn't necessarily pursue dj i've never actually made a decision to pursue djing full-time <laughs> um there's never been a moment okay. in which i've actually decided you're that. still thinking about it yeah i'm still i mean like <laughs> it it certainly is a bulk of my income you know at the end of the day but it's sure. it's something that um you know i've been blessed and fortunate enough to be able to find other opportunities within the dj world that then can provide you know some stability and and also some joy and kind of like tick those other boxes for me. So, you know, we started actually um, within the crew, uh, one of the guys that was in my crew, Brian, um, there's two Brians in this story, but mm -hmm. Brian and Brian were both uh, fraternity brothers and they had um, gone down this path of starting a company called DJ City. Okay. Um, and at the time we were just- That was um, gear. Yeah, we were just selling uh, really records more than anything, mm -hmm. like on an eBay store. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the other Brian, who wasn't necessarily in our DJ crew, uh, was a, uh, a computer dude and just like genius when it came to that, uh, knew how to code and built a website. And in 99, 2000, if you had that ability, you were freaking, right. you were golden, man. So, yeah. uh, lucky for us, we had him in our, in our, um, it wasn't even a company yet. I mean, we had him in our circle and mm -hmm. he built that out and we built a website and sort of overnight, fairly overnight like it turned into something pretty successful you know based on the fact that uh, there weren't a lot of competitors out there for anything like that and then i came on board to really help with um, distribution and i started a company a sort of a separate company that was a sister company of ours distributing some of these vinyl records so okay. like a lot of the the <clears throat> 
a lot of the DJ friendly records, you know, like the the Fat Waxes, mm -hmm. Lethal Weapons, Mix mm -hmm. Factors, um, a lot of those records. Uh, the guys at Strictly Hits up in uh, yeah. Northern California were making Lethal Weapon, Mix Factor. And, are those like battle tools or those yeah. are like. Uh, it was a combination. <clears throat> you know, it's funny because now it's just so funny how this stuff is like come back around and become real, real necessary. But, yeah. you know, back then what it was was. I mean, it was highly illegal. Uh -huh. um, you know, taking six tracks, right. six hot records, or, you know, whatever, you know, six fairly hot records, creating intro versions of them, like mm -hmm. eight-bar instrumental versions of them so that they were easier for DJs to mix in and out of. Mm -hmm. And then also, like, you know, putting them on a, on a record that then was, like, six for the price of two right. type of a thing, right. you know, like... Selling these records for like twelve ninety nine retail, yeah. um, versus it being five ninety nine for a single, you know. So um, <clears throat> there'd definitely be value for DJs that were out there, and then sure. also it allowed for somebody to, um, you know, not have to worry about losing the records, mm -hmm. or you know, you're not losing the original twelve inch. Um, you're not, you know, worried about scratching it up. Now you got like a compilation, and you know, put hot girls on the labels and stuff like that, and sure. you know, like you sell, you're selling them and I got into distributing those records and working with uh, Kevin Scott, who mm -hmm. then started DMS. He's been on the show. Cool. So, yeah. you know, um, we were actually—I was Kevin's first uh, distributor for oh, okay. his records, and um, yeah, man, we were. My job essentially was cold calling record stores and trying to get them to buy the records. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we were running—we were running all this this entire operation out of a, a two-bedroom apartment in West LA right on Ohio and Barrington. Um, and we had records everywhere. At sort of the height of that, we were, you know, sending out 200 packages retail um, and probably like a day and yeah. uh, probably sending out like 10,000 records on the, in, on the distro side every mm -hmm. week, you know? And like at, at that point then, that's where we got our warehouse space in West L.A., uh, which is still the home of Scratch DJ Academy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we started running DJ City Urban Distribution and then Rehab Records out of that space, um, which then later turned into Scratch DJ Academy, you know, yeah. something for the community. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, if you're liking this one, we have some great stuff back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview with AJ Burtonshaw, the founder of Serato, Scratch Live, uh, he's got some great DJ stories just like we're hearing right now. Check that out, and right now, check out the rest of my interview with DJ Hoppe. It's, it's, been, a, it's been an That's interesting amazing. ride, man. Yeah. I mean, and there's, a, it, there's so many layers to all of these things, man. And I look back on, like, what we've done, and just to go back to what, you know, what you had asked me even at the start of this, of, like, you know, making that decision to even DJ full time. It's like I made the decision to be in the DJ industry full time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's the decision that I've made more than anything. And yeah. I think all of these different aspects of it, though, allow, you know, one hand washes the other. I think like me being a DJ helps me be a better um, executive for Scratch DJ Academy. Um, sure. Helps me be a better, you know, helps me stay involved in the community. Um, yet at the same time, having something unique to offer to our community helps me, you know, be a better asset to to others in our community. So I want to talk about that for a minute because, um, so I want you know I want to get into the scratch story a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. But you know, I find it interesting that like, you know, it's like like any school, you have the business side, you have the academic side, sure, you know, yeah. the education side. Or any creative business, right? Right. If you run a record label, you have the creative side, you have the business side. Yeah. And I think, um, so I, I wonder what you think. How how important is it that the people running the business side understand? Yeah. What it means to be a DJ. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting because you know currently. Um, and it's been this way for, for years. Um, it's funny, our, our CEO for Scratch is Rob Principe, mm -hmm. who's a mentor of mine, great dude, amazing entrepreneur, and somebody that like, I really um, admire his entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, real quick, 
you know, people may not know this, but um, Scratch DJ Academy was founded in 2002 by uh, Rob and Jam Master J. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another guy at the time too, Reggie Gaines, who really was a writer, author, okay. and helped uh, write a lot of the original curriculum and oh, kind of cool. gave it more of an educational slant. Yeah. Rob brought the business, Reggie brought the education side, and Jay obviously brought the creative and the wow factor, right? Sure. <laughs> and and the vision. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, they start this school in 2002 in New York City, and literally later that year, Jam Master Jay is murdered. And just even to get inside of Rob's head, we've had multiple conversations about this because for me as an entrepreneur, um, I don't know what that would do for me if um, if I had started this business with somebody who, like, let's say I started a whatever a wellness company with Jillian Michaels or something like that, and all of a sudden Jillian Michaels isn't there anymore, and like yeah. I've got this wellness company and. You know, I'm, what do I know about wellness? Like, right. she's the one who's because like, Rob's not this. a DJ. Rob's not a DJ. Right. No, no, yeah. not at all. And like, you know, I think about that, and and <clears throat> the way in which we lost Jay. You know, the way in yeah. which the world lost Jay. Yeah. The fact that the murder is still not even solved. You know, um, I mean, yeah. he even told me. I mean, he was on he was on a uh, on a suspect list. You know, the FBI were questioning wow. him. I mean, they had just started this yeah, business, yeah, sure. so I mean, like, right. you know, I mean, and for him to have the perseverance to keep going with this and to you know forge forward uh, i got so much respect for him but yeah i think on that side you know rob often describes me or or, or talks about me in the way of in which um he calls it that uh, that i'm bilingual you know that i'm able to sort of speak the language of of business and be able to hold a conversation on that side and that i understand the principles of business um by no means am i an expert in you know, business as a whole, but I certainly am an expert in what our business is and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet at the same time, like, I certainly do also have the the creative language um, down. So <clears throat> to me, honestly, I feel like, you know, not to boast or anything, but I feel like my position in our company is, is an important one. Um, I feel like I'm a translator a lot of times mm-hmm. um, in taking, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, some of my instructors on the ground in any of our cities who are maybe more creative and less business focused mm-hmm. um, to be able to translate our message and what we're trying to achieve on the business side or why we're why we're changing the curriculum to be this or you know why we've moved to this higher price point or whatnot mm-hmm. and to explain to them that this isn't about you know greed or this and that um, and then at the same time to be able to go back to like you know a guy like Rob or you know some of the other guys that we have at the academy and say you know guys we got to switch this up and this is what's going on in the industry and this is what this is and yeah. i know because my ears to the street i mean i i'm living and breathing this thing so so that they're not making decisions in ivory towers mm-hmm. you know and i think like um my job essentially is this like you know this messenger who's got the keys to the ivory tower and can get inside there and you know have access to the 17th right. floor sure. um yet at the same time like have access to the street and have access to you know everything on the ground and i think like more than anything i don't think it's absolutely necessary for like if rob were a dj or if he taught himself how to dj or like it still wouldn't be authentic to who he is like he's sure he's a business guy he's a he's an entrepreneur and like i think that there's something really great about him being able to think in that space and be able to move our company forward i think that you know, without him at the helm, mm-hmm. I don't know if Scratch DJ Academy or and Scratch Music Group as a whole would would be where it's at. You know, certainly not. Um, and no knock to Jay, but you know, if it were the other way around, and we lost Rob mm-hmm. instead of Jay, right. I, it would be a different story. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah, know if we I don't know if we would be here. Sure. You know, to be honest with you, and um, so I, I think that there's it's good to have people within an organization that you know have those different skill sets mm-hmm. and then i think it's good for you to have somebody in an organization like myself who's able to like you know walk that line and i think you you're able to do the same as well you know um and i think there's you know, i'm not unique in that sense i think that there's quite a few of us that are able to um be bilingual yeah but i think it's an interesting role right and, and as you said it creates a ton of opportunity and i think you know puts you in a position to add a lot of value. Mm-hmm. It also creates, I think, a tremendous pressure because, you know, you're not solely focused on 
making money or on right. doing cool stuff or on right right you're seeing the trade-offs that each thing we do over here has an impact over here yeah and they're not always oh yeah there's been some forward at the same pace dude, there's been some sleepless nights for sure you yeah. know i mean there's been there, there's times where i feel like you know um, and I do my best to try and be as vocal as possible and to try and be as honest as possible with like, you know, how I feel about this decision or that right. decision. I mean, there's been some decisions, you know, over the course of time that I haven't been happy with and haven't been pleased with, um, on both, on both ends of that, you know, um, yeah. decisions that creatives have made that I haven't been on board with that I felt like have hurt our company. Um, and then also decisions that, you know, people in offices have made that I felt like haven't been the right decisions, you know, yeah. and I think at the end of the day, I'm, um, you know, it's this ebb and flow. And, you know, I try myself to sort of look at it from the sort of more macro perspective and to try not to get too, you know, bogged down by some of these like isolated events or, you know, yeah. these isolated occurrences, because it absolutely is much larger than that. It's certainly a marathon versus a sprint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's going to be some of these battles that we, that we win or that I personally win or, you know, uh, that we as a company win mm -hmm. um, and some that we lose, mm -hmm. you know, and I think like overall though, I mean, for me, it's taking some time to like really understand that and learn that and be able to digest that part of it yeah. um of not getting too you know caught up in like this one battle sure over 599 versus 549 right, you know? right, right. and yeah. <clears throat> and in the past I, I you know i've been those were the times where i've like lost sleep over that you know and been like ah, it's 599 just ah they just don't get it you know or like right right at the end of the day man i think you just kind of learn to 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 take a step back and to sort of um look at you know it in a in a bigger way yeah you know? no yo that was the end of part one with dj hopper on rebel radio make sure you come back for part two he's gonna drop a bomb on us something you are definitely not expecting i don't mean to leave you with a cliffhanger but i'm gonna leave you with a cliffhanger because uh, some great stories coming up next week from DJ Hopper on Rebel Radio. Make sure you hit us on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Find us on YouTube for some of these um, interviews on video. And go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You're a Christmas present to us. Peace.